Hello and welcome once again to Wrestling Memories on Pioneer 90.1 FM KSRQ. Hey gang, you can check us out online worldwide at RadioNorthland.org. Listen to us live in the moment or check out our 10 years of archives. That's right there at RadioNorthland.org. Well, with that out of the way, it's Wrestling Memories once again. I'm Glenn Broggett, of course, along with my co-host way down there deep in the heart of Texas, where uh, as we were chatting today as of this recording, it was a little bit on the chilly side there, so I guess uh, it's really super cold. It's Minnesota, so you know it's going to be cold up here, but a little bit cooler down there in the Lone Star State. So, uh, yeah, weather got into our conversation right away, but we're going to talk more about wrestling uh, for this hour. But anyway, a big welcome to Mike, the grizzled vet McCurdy. Mike, my friend, how are you? I'm doing good. Uh, yeah, like you said, Texas is drunk uh, this weekend. Uh, 35 degrees at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Not Minnesota cold, but well, well, it's cold. So I'm glad I get to go inside and do wrestling memories and I'm not sitting out like in the mobile studio. Yeah, I think that would probably, uh, it's, it's a better choice to be indoors, I guess, down there. But yeah, yeah, it's definitely on Minnesota cold, but it's definitely probably got a lot of that freezing vibe because you guys really don't get much of uh, many cold spells throughout the year. So it's one of those things where it's kind of kind of foreign, I guess, to you. Whereas, whereas us here, the sunshine is like the foreign element. We get all of the six, seven months of winter up in God's country, but you know, you, you win some, you lose some. January, February. That's that's when it's cold here. It's just the game is going to be how cold is it? Mm-hmm. This this year it's going to be a little bit colder. Um, I'm hoping it's not a repeat of last year where we shut down for a week. I don't I don't see that. They haven't predicted that. So yeah, that, I think we're safe. It, yeah, it is the winter months. That's the thing months. down there, man. It's like you guys get a, a a decent fair amount of snow, and it's just you know everything gets knocked into all kinds of different calamities. It's a lot of haywire going on. A little bit, yeah. It shuts down. I uh, I experienced that last year, and like I said, I don't I don't want to do it this year. See, I'd be out there with short sleeves and a shirt, you know, the shorts, and running around like a fool. And you fellow you Texans would all think I I done gone crazy. But you know, it's winter time. You know, of course, up here in the tundra, it, it allows for me to watch a lot of television on the weekends and sometimes weeknights when I'm not working. And of course, a lot of streaming and a lot of going into YouTube, Mike. And uh, it seems like I. I keep finding new old stuff every week. And uh, one of the things I've been watching a lot of these days has been um, the WWF summer, fall, early winter, 1984 into 85. Some, uh, one of the posters has been uh, that I subscribe to has been putting up some, some gold, gold episodes, like not only just championship wrestling, but all American, even some of the Maple Leaf wrestling that aired up in Canada. So it's kind of fun to see some of the guys that kind of came and went out, you know, out of the WWF before WrestleMania in that year of 84, you know, with McMahon, you know, finding as many of these uh, big stars he could take out of the territories as possible. So it's interesting to like go to an interview and hear Mr. Wrestling 2 and then later on see him do with a job in a, in a, in a TV match uh, or, or even see uh, he was a blink and you missed it. Buzz Sawyer as Bulldog Buzz Sawyer uh, briefly in the WWF. So that's kind of the stuff I, I, I've been kind of digging on these days. I, I love that in the 80s nostalgia. You know, I've, I've watched a little bit of that here and there. Um, 82, 83 is kind of like when my when, when my interest began. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, no, there was a lot of names. Um, I've been watching a lot of wrestling, obviously, as well. More more current stuff than you uh, at this time. You know, NXT, um, AEW, as of this recording, John Moxley just came back last night. So, curious to see where, you know, he's going to go. Uh, WWE and their oddness changed Walter to Gunter. I don't know why. I'm not, I'm not going to question it. Whatever. He's going to read Gunter. You know. You know, and everything getting set up, you know, Royal Rumble, we're getting ready to go into WrestleMania season. And yeah, the Royal Rumble. I'm going to WrestleMania second night, so. The Royal Rumble thing has uh, got me a little bit more interest. It's kind of piqued my interest because I, I really have like been so con- inconsistent with WWE product. But I, I, again, I'm an Impact AEW guy. But uh, the what's going on now with uh, you know with Mickey James getting into the women's uh, Royal Rumble and there's been rumblings and talk and you know could all just be against a bunch of hyperbole. But some potential names that could end up you know 
taking that forbidden door on the male end of the Royal Rumble. So again, I, I don't want everything to be revealed. I, I'm kind of just going to wait and kind of hang in suspense, man, because I, I, I hope that they do a little bit of that. And it kind of shows that the, the, the WWE or whatever they're working towards now uh, has got some flexibility and kind of sees the, the potential of having some of these guys and gals come in and out. Surprise entrance in a Royal Rumble is always the oh. best part. You know, you wait for the buzzer to go off and want to see who comes out. And there's a couple names. Uh, Moose from uh, Impact. A couple Impact names I've heard coming possibly in. So I don't know if there's a little deal going on with the two of them right now. Or for the people who are expecting to hear, like, you know, Judas or CM Punk's theme, you, you keep hoping. I don't, I don't see an AEW presence. Uh, in the Royal Rumble. Mm -mm. Uh, if I do, if there is, I will gladly come on the show and say I was wrong, but I don't think we're going to hear that. Yeah, I, I really uh, saw online how the fanboys got a little excited about the whole Cody Rhodes contract situation stuff uh, at the beginning of the week here and how, again, how the uh, overdrive speculation gets going with that. And it's like, oh, yeah, he's going to be this, that, and the other. Yeah, he's going to be at WrestleMania, too, and he's going to uh, come in on a monster truck. Who the hell knows, you know? There you go, with the big giant flying tattoo, neck tattoo on the side of the door. Maybe like a his Transformer tattoo, as uh, Dan Lambert uh, referred to it a couple of weeks ago. Love Dan Lambert. He's, he's, he's good. You know, it's speaking tough. of nostalgia, you've pointed me in the direction of this documentary a couple of weeks ago, and I had a chance to watch it. I'm going to have to watch it again. I, I feel like I, I didn't get quite as much absorption, but I definitely want to watch it again. And it's uh, about an, a, a little independent pro wrestling company out there in the great state of California. And of course, you're no stranger to that state. I want you to kind of get into this. I want you to introduce our guests because they did such a great job on this uh, the production that you know we want to really get into the talk about you know the making of and the history of uh, bay area wrestling and uh, the wrestler woody farmer so mike i'm gonna let you uh do the driving my friend and i'll come in and uh every once in a while shake you up i'm glad to have these guys on today um i discovered the documentary a friend of mine posted it on facebook and i wanted to check it out because i knew a lot of these guys i i knew them i worked with them on shows so it was kind of fun for me to go look at. Yes, like you said, there's a documentary uh, just came out on YouTube January 2nd, I believe it was, mm -hmm. on Woody Farmer's Bay Area Wrestling, which wasn't just California. You may not have seen it out here, Texas area, maybe in Minnesota, but Washington, California, Oregon, it had a, a large presence through Sports Channel America. So they actually had a good run, and there was a few surprise names that went through Bay Area Wrestling. And, you know, we're going to talk about that because our guests this week on the show are the producers of Woody Farmer's Bay Area Wrestling documentary. Uh, please welcome to Wrestling Memories, Mr. Jesus Cruz. Jesus, welcome to the show. Hey, how's it going? Thank you for having us. This is Jesus Cruz alongside with Paul Ponte. I'm one of the co-producers of Indie Handshake and this documentary. And greetings from sunny California. I heard you guys were talking about the weather out there and just letting you know it's about 70 degrees and sunny here in California. <sighs> You're bad. Oh. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that with us. We, we appreciate it. Just and yes, our other ridiculous. Guest today, uh, the other, the co-producer of the Woody Farm Bay Area Wrestling Documentary, Mr. Paul Ponte. Paul, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having us on. I appreciate the chance to talk about this this uh, little pet project we've had, this, this project that came out of love for the history of Bay Area Wrestling, especially independent Bay Area Wrestling. Well, before we talk about the documentary, you know, let's kind of get a little bit of background on the uh, you know, in Handshake, I believe is the name of the company, and uh, you guys in general. You know, kind of what is your background in, you know, the wrestling field, and kind of where did you get your start, and what led up to uh, deciding you wanted to do this documentary with Bay Area Wrestling? Uh, so my background, and, and pretty much Paul has a similar background, um, around when I was 17 years old, uh, Paul was what? I was 13, 14 at the Yeah, time. so I was 17, Paul was 13. And we came across a promotion called Big Time Wrestling that ran here in the Bay Area. And they had wrestling uh, at the TV studio, the same studio where Bay Area Wrestling uh, was doing tapings. But they started their tapings around 97. So pretty much after Woody Farmer stopped doing the tapings there, Big Time kind of picked it up for a little bit around uh, 90, sorry, uh, 2000. It was in the year 2000 that they started running uh, shows at that TV station. And I was uh working at that station volunteering if you will kind of learning uh, about broadcasting you know how to run cameras in a studio audio lights and all that stuff so as soon as i started uh learning all this i got involved in pro wrestling right away 
the promoter Kirk White kind of uh, let us film his shows in exchange for us interviewing the big names he was bringing in at the time, which were guys like Owen Hart, um, Val Venus, D'Lo Brown, The Undertaker, Stone Cold at their peak. Al so, Snow. Al Snow. So it was like yeah. we were 17, 13 years old, and we had all access to to these great superstars. So that's that's how we started uh, uh, working in the business, and we pretty much have been in it ever since. Yeah, Big Time Wrestling, that was a uh, Kirk White's promotion. I believe he started, oh, late 90s. I think like 97, 97 or 98, 90, somewhere, I believe. 96 was his first show. 96, okay, yeah. And we just, unfortunately, we recently lost uh, Kirk White, passed away uh, Christmas Eve night. So, you know, our condolences right. to, you know, the friends and family. Uh, you guys and I have a lot, have seem to have a lot in common because Kirk White is another, you know, gentleman that, uh, you know, I worked some shows with and, you know, and I went to a lot of the, the big time wrestling shows. He would come up to uh, Eureka, California, where I live, and he ran some shows there at the uh, Municipal Auditorium, which was a spot on the old Roy Shires, uh, you know, Cow Palace Wrestling. That was one of their spots back in like 60s and 70s. They would come up and run Muni, and Kirk ran the Muni as well. And... Some of the guys from Bay Area Wrestling, that's where I met them. That's, you know, Jason Rogers or Jason Styles, uh, Super Diablo, Sonny Stone. I met them, you know, and Shane Cody working through Kirk. And then later on, you know, I had seen them on Bay Area Wrestling and all that. But when I first met them, they were, you know, in person, they were with uh, Kirk and Big Time Wrestling. Right, right. And the, and the way that uh, the relationship started to, or the idea was planted for the Bay Area Wrestling documentary, it was actually right when Woody passed in 2012, I reached out to his son, uh, Shane Cody, uh, that I would like to produce a, a, a tribute video for his father. So Cody gave me access to some of the matches, some old school pictures of Woody Farmer. And knowing the, that Shane Cody had all this footage, uh, years later, when we started Indie Handshake, you know, we got the idea like, you know what, we have access to all this footage. A lot of great um, things happened during that time. A lot of people like Chris Jericho and Crash Holly and Mae Young uh, rolled through that promotion. You know, it's a no brainer to, 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 to do the story uh, of that promotion. And uh, Indie Handshake started um, as a podcast first, Paul, if you want to elaborate kind of how we did that. Yeah, so. I started out the Indie Handshake by basically just interviewing local guys, uh, whether it be guys who are either near the end of their indie careers or at the beginning, just kind of hearing their stories about wrestling in the Bay Area. And uh, we started to get really hard to, you know, in wrestling, they say popping the boys is what you want to do. You want, you want to make the wrestlers feel like they're excited about what you're doing. And what I found that most of the people that commented and shared our interviews were wrestlers as opposed to just fans. And Jesus joined on as well. And we started thinking, okay, well, we have the podcast. We have literally hundreds of tapes of matches that we filmed over the years. Why don't we start, you know, recording some commentary, like putting this stuff out? And then from there, it was like, well, what's the next logical step? Uh, Jesus, who is a, you know, he's already edited movies and documentaries before. Well, next is to start trying to do some full-length documentary features as well as short ones. So that's kind of how Indie Handshake molded over the past couple of years. Now, for our listeners who may not, you know, be familiar with the name, Woody Farmer, he was, uh, a lot of his early career was in the California area. Uh, he, held some, he held the tag team title in the NWA with uh, Bobby Duncan, uh, you know, mainly a Northern California guy. Uh, he also was a tag team partner with Shawn Michaels back in Shawn Michaels' rookie year. He was a tag team, they were tag team champions, I believe, in... I want to say Kentucky or some state like that. But anyways, they were, they were tag team champions. But, you know, let's get a little background on, you know, Woody Farmer and kind of like, you know, who he was for our listeners who may not. Right. So Woody uh, started training wrestling right out of uh, the Army. So he joined the Army when he was young. And I, right out of the Army, you know, he might – I don't know because of the physicality of it. You know, he's a pretty tall guy, big guy. So he wanted to get involved in pro wrestling. And he reached out to people like – Ray Stevens, uh, another local Bay Area guy, Kenji Shibuya, and, um, oh, God, I'm blanking on the third person, um, Pepper Gomez, um, who, who were already working for Roy Shires in this area. So Woody uh, started training with under them, 
uh, and then he just, you know, branched out and started, you know, being a journeyman pretty much in wrestling and started doing his own thing. But in addition to that, not only was he wrestling, but he was also performing uh, strongman stunts, you know, like getting a, a 400 pound of uh, concrete uh, broken on your chest with like a sledgehammer and while lying on a bed of nails or bending steel. So a lot of like the old school uh, strongman carny types of, uh, is what Woody was doing. And, and that's what he ended up becoming known for, not only for wrestling, but for the strongman feats as well. You know, he carried a piano up Lombard Street um, to raise money for the, uh, I forgot the name of the organization, uh, the Muscular uh, Dystrophy yeah, Association. Dystrophy yeah. Association. So a lot of that stuff, I think, added to the aura of Woody Farmer. So he's not just not just a pro wrestler and a promoter, but he also did a lot of strongman uh, uh, feats. And I checked that was Kansas that they were in. For, it was Central States Wrestling was the him and Shawn Michaels. Anyways, when you're starting this documentary, you know, you decided you talked. You said you talked to Shane, who uh, I inducted into the West Coast Wrestling Hall of Fame for my WWE back in 2015. Joe Susan and I put him and Woody and uh, Riot Cody, uh, Woody's grandson, uh, Shane's son, into the Hall of Fame there. But you know. When you decide to start it and you're working on the day, because like I said, Bay Area Wrestling was a, it was California or it was the West Coast area. But, you know, when you started working on this and you started kind of piecing it all together, what were some of the things that you were finding out that, you know, maybe you, you didn't know that you thought were interesting and all that? Because, you know, it's a very, it's a small, you know, subject, but, you know, very interesting one to, to cover them. Right. Uh, a lot of things that, uh, you know, at the beginning, when I first met like Woody Farmer and Shane Cody, you know, I, I knew Woody was an old school wrestler, but I didn't really do my homework back then, or even even did a lot of homework on Bay, Bay Area wrestling. I just knew that they had the wrestling at the studio. So when I started learning, like, oh, uh, because we also worked with All Pro Wrestling back in 2000, uh, we went over to All Pro Wrestling and did video for them, and then finding out that. Uh, the leprechaun, Aaron O'Grady slash Crash Holly was an APW guy as well. You know, we didn't know that even before APW, he started with Woody Farmer. So that was kind of a, a learning thing for me. And then we learned that Chris Jericho uh, not only had, you know, one match with Shane Cody, well, now we know he had three because we found the matches. And shortly after finding all these matches, Jericho released his book. I think he called the complete uh, list of Jericho or something yeah. like that where he names all the matches and we just happened to have them. So while we posted all these videos and matches, uh, Paul was tagging him on Twitter and he started sharing all these and he reached out to us. Once he saw the Bay area wrestling trailer, Chris Jericho reached out to us on Twitter and said he wanted to be a part of it. So that was really, really cool of, of him to do that. Yeah. We, we learned from him that uh, none of the wrestlers got paid. We didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> we thought, you know, for sure. If they're getting time off. They must be getting paid, but that is that was not the case, unfortunately. There was also a lot of the stories about Mae Young was the was the other things we learned about. There's a really funny moment in the documentary where uh, Mae Young. Well, we learned this a little bit when it came to the Michael Modest documentary that we did, where he talked about how Mae Young used to you know kick the crap out of the wrestlers when they were training, and apparently Mae Young did the same thing at Barry Wrestling, and she also would pant on the microphone like. When she when she would get excited by pain, uh, uh, anyway, like all this stuff that was just really funny, like this, you know, I start when I started watching wrestling, and I was watching wrestling in the late '90s, early 2000s. You know, I, she was the old lady that got power bombed by Bubba Ray Dudley into a table. She, you know, that's all I knew really. I didn't realize like how much there was there, uh, but it was like little things like that. And then also learning about some of the guys that we we knew when uh, we started watching wrestling in the Bay Area, guys like Jason Styles, to see him wrestling and it's to realize his first ever match ever was on television and it was broadcast across the entire west coast and that's something that's very interesting to us is you know in a business where it's all about how you pay your dues and how you work little gyms and how you do this and this and this but to have a guy local who just like his first match ever was on television that's another thing that we yeah. thought was really interesting yeah. and also and also meeting the uh or, or learning about the socal guys that would come up here to work for woody Guys like uh, Bobby Bradley, Billy Anderson, uh, Wayne Bradley, who also wrestled NorCal and SoCal as Little Haystack. It's like I, I saw Little Haystack and, and his brother, Crazy Kyle, work 
a couple of big time wrestling shows, but I had no idea that he wrestled in Bay Area wrestling when he was 16 years old. And sure enough, popped the tape in and he was on there. So it was like kind of, kind of cool seeing all these people that you you've seen work nowadays, but they started uh, at Bay Area wrestling. Right. There was a lot of names that, you know, went through, like you said, Jericho, uh, three matches that week if he didn't get paid. Um, knew about that one, Michael Lockwood, Crash Holly. Uh, and we mentioned Jason Styles. People may not, you know, you may not, our listeners may not know the name of but he actually went on to run the wrestling school. And one of his students, who you mentioned in your documentary, was a young woman named Davida, who wrestled as Davida Rose, who then moved on to WWE and NXT and wrestled as Bailey. So Jason Rogers or Jason Styles was her trainer. So there's a lot of talent that branched off of, uh, you know, Bay Area Wrestling. Now, you mentioned all APW All Pro Wrestling. Was Roland Alexander with him at that point in time, or was that after he had passed? No, this was when Roland was still, uh, was still there. I said Roland was another gentleman that uh, I had a chance to work with on occasions, and we could do another show just on Roland Alexander and APW. Uh, another interesting you know, group and all that. And there was a lot of wrestling, actually, independent-wise in, uh, in, in California at the time. You had APW, you had... Bay Area Wrestling, there were some groups down in Los Angeles and all that, so, but it was an indie scene and all that, like I said, Sports Channel America, that was where, that was where the main, you know, broadcast was, and that went all the way up into Washington, and that's where Jason Stiles had his, you know, debut was through Sports Channel America, that's how I watched it, I was in Northern California, up uh, in Eureka and all that, so, but it was an interesting documentary, and there's a lot of names that came out of it, you mentioned Jericho, and you were kind of, like, surprised at that one, but what are some of the other names that, you know, came up that you didn't know about or were interesting that maybe you couldn't include in the documentary? Uh, one thing that we didn't include because I didn't find any footage, but I heard uh, when, when Woody Farmer passed away, uh, I reached out to a couple of people to get some uh, facts about uh, Woody. So, you know, to do like a voiceover type deal slideshow. But I guess the Barbarian from WCW also trained there or wrestled for Woody, but I have yet to see any footage or, or, or I don't know if he actually wrestled shows or if he just trained there for a little bit, but that was one that I was kind of curious uh, as to, you know, if they did indeed. I mean, I, I'm sure they did because a lot of people confirmed it, but that's something that I haven't found any video footage of that the Barbarian also was, was training there. And also I just wanted to make a comment uh, earlier. You, you spoke about Bailey uh, being trained by uh, Jason Styles. Uh, Bailey was actually in the Bay Area. Bailey was there when we were watching the Bay Area wrestling documentary at Shane Cody's house when it when it came out. And as she was watching it, Chris Jericho was texting her about the documentary, which which is you know phenomenal. So she you know Jericho asked Bailey, "Hey, have you seen this yet?" And she literally FaceTimed him with all of us watching it. You know, so that that's kind of cool that that. It kind of brings everybody, brings people together. Yeah, it's good to see that people, especially, you know, no matter how big of a star you are, especially someone like Bailey, who, you know, been to WrestleMania, as they say, uh, that they don't forget their roots or, like, you know, where they came from in the wrestling business. Right. She did one of those, uh, oh, before they were stars, when WWE was doing, like, the YouTube channels, and they had the, uh, you know, or I was, and it was when they were training and all that. She actually went back to the, the big-time wrestling school and to the ring she trained in and they talked with uh, Jason Stiles and all that. So, yeah, she's very, she's very much a Bay Area girl. So proud of that. That's where she's announced from. So I met her three months into her wrestling career. Jason Stiles, uh, Jason actually introduced us as one of his students and all that, but didn't realize at the time, obviously, that, you know, she was going to go on with a, you know, with the career that she's had. And that was kind of the fun part of watching this documentary is seeing, you know, like I said, the guys that, you know, that I knew that I worked with. And, uh, you include some footage in there. It's Styles doing a promo about uh, May, May 1st at uh, Eureka, California. That was where I went and saw uh, Bay Area Wrestling Live for the first time was at the Eureka High School gym. Um, and that's where I saw that. You know, we had the Spanish Hitman. Uh, Johnny Starr was there. Shane Cody. You know, a lot of the guys in your documentary... And another gentleman that was there, and I, he wasn't in the documentary. I don't know if you had a chance to speak with him. Was uh, Al Burke wrestled as Mr. Outrageous? He was a uh, a Bay Area wrestling guy as well, and he was actually in the main event of the show that I saw the Jason references in that promo in your documentary. Did you get a chance to talk to Al Burke? Did you try to reach out to him? Because very interesting character. 
Uh, no, no, we did not. Basically, uh, I deferred to uh, Shane Cody to to kind of uh, contact who who he thought would be great for the documentary. I contacted Pat Kelly because I knew Pat Kelly had you know had had done some commentating for Bear Wrestling. I reached out to Alan Bolte as well, who who I knew was part of it. But as far as the workers, you know, other than Jason Styles and Super Diablo, who who I'm I'm tight with, uh, other than that, Shane Cody pretty much. Uh, uh, was the one that contacted the 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 wrestlers that you see in the documentary. Now, what was it like, uh, you know, working with Shane? Because I've you know I've worked with him. And he's a nice guy. You know, he's very much in the family generation. His son was also like I mentioned, Riot Cody uh, was a wrestler. But what was it like working with Shane Cody? Because you see him on the documentary, and he's just you know he started off as Rex Warner, but then he went in and got the you know the cowboy gimmick and you know the rough, tough type guy in the ring. But what was it like working with him on the documentary? being this is about his father yeah cody is always a character that's for sure uh in and out of the ring uh i've uh he was one uh he was one of my bar buddies as well we would go bar hopping uh but i met him in 97 when i was working with big time wrestling and you know you're you're a young kid and you know this guy's been in the business for a while so of course you're gonna get faved and you're gonna get you know the tough guy act you know 24 7 and you know kind of messing with you the whole time which is you know expected but it was, I think it was after the uh, the tribute I did to Woody Farmer that Cody and I started, you know, hanging out more and talking more and definitely throughout this documentary. And, you know, you could see that he kind of dropped his guard down a little bit as far as opening up more and giving up more information because he sees that we're trying to, you know, we're trying to do right by his dad. We're trying to, uh, you know, uh, showcase, like, the history of, of Bayer wrestling that his dad started. So he was, he's easy to work with because like I said, we became friends, we became bar buddies. So, you know, it, it, it wasn't hard to, to get information from them or, or for the interviews. The guys still are a little, some of the guys, other guys are still a little K-Baby as far as <laughs> what they want to say or not uh, uh, during the documentary. But for the most part, everyone kind of opened up. Yeah. It was so funny. Cause I remember Cody, when I would go to big time wrestling shows when I was younger Cody was always the guy that I would tell people, wait for it. And then Cody would, you know, chop the living crap out of someone. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he still chops pretty stiff these days. But um, it was interesting, though, because I did, I did a lot of the interview portion of the documentary where I sat, you know, and I talked to the wrestlers. And hearing him open up about his father and everything was really enlightening to me because, you know, this guy who's like this, you know, like, like Jesus said, you know, the, oh, tough guy who likes to, you know, kayfabe people around most of the time and, but him hearing him open up was great. I mean, that's not to say there wasn't some stuff he said that we that we didn't put in the documentary <laughs> for some reasons or another. But um, overall, it was it was actually like a, a pleasant surprise. I would say uh, the amount that Cody gave us as far as uh, a real insight into what he thought about his father and what his father's motivations were for Bay Area wrestling. And not only that, but we have only kind of you know the I think I captured about ninety tapes that Cody had, but there I know there's at least 90 or hundred tapes more to go through of stuff that hasn't seen the light of day since it aired. So there's still a lot of, um, a lot of content that we'll be putting out the Bay area wrestling on indiehandshake.com. All right. I'm going to pass the mic over to Glenn for now. I'm sure he's got a couple questions for you. Well, thank you, Mike. This is wrestling memories with our guest Jesus Cruz and Paul Ponte directors of a fine documentary about Woody Farmer and Bay Area Wrestling. And I just want to know a little bit about more into the, the character that Woody Farmer was, because you mentioned earlier he, of his feat of strength that he did for multiple mul- uh, muscular dystrophy. Easy for me to say, but what sort of things to, to, to generate interest uh, did, did Woody do as far as being a promoter? I mean, in the 1980s, I mean, you got your local uh, hardcores, but what type of things was he known for as far as generating publicity, getting the word out about his pro wrestling company? Because not only uh, from what it sounds like uh, he was a, a, a fun wrestler, but he, it seemed like he was a, a, a larger than life character. So what sort of things would, would he do to kind of generate interest for his pro wrestling company? So when I met Woody Farmer, uh, it was later on um, in his life. So I don't want to say he was retired at the time because he ended up wrestling up in 2007. He had a couple of matches then. But the times that I met met Woody, he was very uh, uh, kind-hearted, down-to-earth, soft-spoken kind of guy. Um, all the guys, all the wrestlers that worked for him, the documentary, they expressed how generous Woody was, how 
you know, uh, how he taught them how to, how to talk, how to dress, you know, to dress up nice anywhere they went out anywhere for TV tapings or otherwise, you know, to, to, to have class, to be respectful. Um, so those are the teachings that to this day, like Jason Stiles uh, mentioned in the documentary, that there's a lot of stuff that Woody taught him at the time that he implements to his own students. So yeah, we've heard nothing but great things about Woody Farmer and the way he was running, running his business. And matter of fact, he was such a good person and putting a lot of his own money for this that eventually that's why Bay Area Wrestling was um, uh, no longer is because it got too expensive to run it all, you know, on his own. Even though the guys weren't making any money from the tapings, you know, you still have to put in a lot of work and, you know, the live shows that he was doing and Eureka, Newark and other parts. I mean, I'm sure that takes a toll. So, but we've heard nothing but good things about him. He was a straightforward guy. And, you know, he wasn't like backstabbing people or anything like that. He was straight up. If he told you, hey, we're going to do this for no money, you know, he would at least tell you up front and not like, you know, you want to find out about it later. Yeah, and it was really interesting because if you watch Bayer Wrestling, there's a lot of, you know, the Crash Hollies and Jericho at the time. Uh, nowadays, uh, you would say a, Jer- a guy Jericho size back then, you wouldn't say is a small wrestler by any means. But at the time, he was. And so it was really interesting to us, even though that Woody Farmer was an old school promoter through and through, you know, literally did carny feats of strength. Uh, the fact that he liked booking smaller guys, that he wanted to give these guys a shot, when a lot of other wrestling schools and promotions literally told them, no, you're too small, forget it. And this is on the indie scene. We're not talking about like the WWF turning them down at the time. This is random indie promotions telling them, you are not big enough. You cannot be a wrestler for us. And Woody Farmer took them with open arms and put them on television and let them showcase their abilities. And that, to me, even though, like I said, he was a old school type promoter, the fact that he had that forward vision to do something like that, when nowadays, you know, that's par for the course. But at the time, him like being able to see that there was, there was a market for that, there was something that people could enjoy, I think was just a very insightful look into Woody Farmer, a guy that, at the time, you know, sure, he was just running the small promotion, but I think he he kind of saw where the – he might have even saw where the trend was going, I could say. You know, I also thought that it was it was really interesting that, like, Pat Kelly, uh, when we talked to him recently, mentioned that he tried to get Woody to do more shows, but Woody uh, kind of turned it down because I think he was comfortable with what he was doing at the time because this was a little bit later in his booking career – uh, you know, booking Barry Wrestling. Uh, but I still think it was great that he was able to, you know, give all these guys a shot, especially on television. I think that's just, you know, something very special about Woody Farmer. So, uh, a little quick note, a uh, story that I remember of Woody Farmer was the TV station where he ran his uh, shows at. Like I mentioned before, that's where I volunteered and went to school to learn broadcasting. Well, one day, this is Woody was already in his seventies, I think, at this point, and he was doing one-off shows with the studio. Uh, and I, I believe the uh, studio TV studio manager owed Woody some money, so Woody shows up, and I'm there, and my um, my friend, my the guy that was co-managing the place was there, and, and he's in a wheelchair, and Woody Farmer comes and politely knocks on the door and asks if certain per, uh, the certain person was there, and when the, the guy in the wheelchair says no. Woody Farmer gently and politely just pushed him out of the way, rolled him out of the way, and went looking throughout the whole studio for this one person, <laughs> which kind of takes you back to like the old school carny, like where's my money type, I'll break your fingers type, type deal. But he was very respectful to us because he had nothing to do with us. Uh, we weren't had nothing. Sorry, we had nothing to do with anything. But Jason Stiles in the documentary said that Woody Farmer is the nicest guy unless you pissed him off. So I feel like there's another whole side of Woody that. I'm glad I didn't get this. Yeah, I definitely don't want to cross that line if you don't have to. Uh, you, he, and towards the end of Woody's life, uh, you know, he, we mentioned uh, that not only his son, but his grandson also got involved in the pro wrestling business. But it was just a few years before Woody passed that there was actually a moment where all three of them got together. Uh, talk a little bit about this thing that was dubbed Team Three Generations and just how much that really truly meant to not only Woody, but to, to, you know, all, all the generations of, of farmer men here in the ring uh, for the, for this big event back in uh, February, 2007. Right. They, um, they had four matches, I believe total as the three generations. Uh, if I recall, the first one was actually for a promotion called pro wrestling iron uh, that was ran by Michael Modest and Donovan Morgan uh, here in the Bay area. 
they had a show in New York, California, and that's why I believe that's where they did the first three generations match. So it was uh, obviously Woody Farmer, Shane Cody, and Shane Cody's son, Riot. And they wrestled Danny Garcia, which is another Bay Area wrestling guy, Super Diablo, and Jason Styles under a mask. I think he went under the assassin or something like that. But, uh, yeah, they had, you know, uh, uh, the three generations match. You know, obviously a lot of people came out to see Woody, who hasn't seen him in a while. And he could still go. I mean, he was still chopping. He was out there getting, you know, uh, juice. Uh, he's bleeding out there. So he, he, he definitely put on the show for for fans. And, um, yeah, he had he had about four of them. And one of them, the last one, it was in Hayward. It was at Cal State East Bay where they started. There, there was a riot. There was a, not Riot the wrestler. That's Shane Cody's son wrestles as Riot. There was an actual riot because, uh, one part, something that we didn't add in the documentary, because for timing, we took this out, but Super Diablo and Danny Garcia talk about their family. Their family, uh, when they go out to see them wrestle, their family, to them, this is real. They never got smartened up by Super Diablo and Danny Garcia. So they, when they saw Shane Cody beating up on Danny Garcia, they would go out and try to beat up Shane Cody for real, like taking out... <laughs> taking off their heels, the ladies taking off their heels and try to hit Cody, you know, uh, destroying property. Uh, <laughs> so that's what happened at Cal State East Bay is that a group of people from the Garcia family started rushing towards like Shane Cody and all the heels and all that stuff. So yeah, it was, uh, it was wild. Yeah. It, it was also really interesting because uh, we learned, I didn't really know this until later. I just assumed, well, Cody's father was a wrestler. So Cody wanted to be a wrestler. Apparently Cody at the beginning had no plans of being a wrestler. Uh, he traveled with his dad a lot when he was a kid, and he saw the wrestling business. He was around the wrestling business, but he had no plans to be a wrestler. It was only later on that he decided to do that. And then for him to go ahead and be like, oh, well, you know, someone brought the idea to him to do the three generations uh, match and to get his son involved, uh, you could tell the pride in Shane Cody's face of talking about that match, even now, even though those matches, even now, you know, years later, he still, you know, looks at it with reverence, as he should. It's, it's a special thing that they got to do together. Uh, especially, you know, someone as legendary in the Bay Area as Woody Farmer and his son, who's been wrestling a long time, and then, you know, his grandson wrestling all in the same match. It was just a tremendous moment for them. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And uh, I just want to go back a little bit further back into Woody's career because it's a connection uh, both not only in, in Bay Area wrestling, but up here in Minnesota. Uh, was uh, Woody's uh, development in pro wrestling by way of the great Ray, the Crippler Stevens. Now, Talk about a guy who made his name in both all over the territory days of wrestling. But uh, talk a little bit about uh, the connections that those two made way back when when he got broken in by Ray uh, up and through the years. Was this did they hold up a pretty good relationship through the years? What was the status of that? Because that's a pretty important thing to get broken in by a guy of Ray's caliber back then. So was there a little bit more of a connection after uh, the initial training with those two? I'm not too. I'm not too certain about when or how they met. Uh, I only know whatever Co Cody has told me or said in the interview. And actually, Cody told me because I did wanted him to go a little bit deeper about training with Ray Stevens. Uh, he did mention uh, recently. This is when we were actually watching the documentary that um, I forgot where they met Ray Stevens and Woody. But I guess Ray Stevens kind of trained Woody. Uh, in, in a backyard kind of deal. Like they had like a little makeshift ring or something. And so that's where the, I don't know what year this was. I don't know how they met, but Cody told me this recently that he was getting trained like in a little makeshift ring here and there. Uh, and they were close in proximity. I mean, Woody was living in union city, California and Ray Stevens was living in Fremont in the Niles district in, in California, which is only about 15, 20 minutes away. So I could see them, you know, uh, crossing paths, you know, not even in just wrestling, but maybe just around town. Um, so, but uh, after that, I know that uh, Woody Woody Farmer had his own TV show, the Woody Farmer uh, Show. Uh, believe he had it up to 1999, uh, and he had um, he's had Ray Stevens on as a guest a couple of times. So I know there was a relationship even after after the training, but uh, how how in depth it went, I am not too sure. Talk a little bit about this talk show part of it too. That now that you got me fascinated about the Woody Farmer show itself. Yeah, so he did uh, a talk show in uh, Newark. I, I think he shot some of it in Newark, California, at the same TV station where he did Bay Area Wrestling, and I believe he also had some shows in Hayward, California. But yeah, basically it was a Woody Farmer show. 
Uh, I have some clips that we are going to start um, some shows, sorry, that we are going to start sharing soon. But he would have people on like May Young. He had people on uh, Clyde Steves, the enforcer Clyde Steves. He's had uh, Jerry Monty on, Ray Stevens. He's interviewed Bret Hart. Uh, I believe I still have footage of that. So, yeah, he just had a talk show where he brought in, uh, and not only wrestlers, uh, he also brought in people in the community. Woody Farmer was always about helping out in the community. Uh, I have footage of him uh, with the uh, local Marines uh, doing a toy drive at Toys R Us. Woody Farmer's kind of hosting this segment of them picking out, uh, sorry, the Marines picking out uh, toys for kids and stuff like that. So Cody was always community-oriented. And he used this platform of his TV show to bring in people from the community to promote fundraisers or to talk about their uh, organization or nonprofits. All right, guys. Um, once you, this was just uh, excuse me, got a new tongue today. Um, this documentary was released, I believe, January second. So it's been out for about a uh, less than a month, a couple weeks. Um, have you been like surprised by the reaction to it? Because I know for me, watching it. It was fun, like I said, I've been saying, to see all the guys that I knew and to see the references of the show that I went to. And there, there was a, Actually, there's a funny story about that one as well. Um, Bayer Wrestling, obviously, that was May 1st, Eureka High School. One of the matches on that show was with the Spanish Hitman, who's in your documentary. Uh, and if you notice the documentary, Spanish Hitman is a, is a, is a larger gentleman. Not, not super huge, but a larger gentleman. And a match he was in, they do a spot. He's climbing up into the ring. He ran out. He's climbing up into the ring. His opponent runs at him, does a flying drop kick. And Spanish Hitman just goes backwards and does an SP plunge to do the bump. I'm in the front row with a friend of mine. And at that point in time, I think my friend of mine was about ready to, you know, mess his drawers because the Spanish Hitman just an SP plunged backwards. And I ended up with a lap full of the Spanish Hitman. And my front seat became my second row seat right where there was like about a five-year-old little girl sitting with her father watching the show. Immediately as that hit, ring announcer, uh, one of the other wrestlers came out from the back. Everybody okay? Because, I mean, the Spanish hitman just obliterated that front row. And as soon as he got up, he's looking at me going, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And my friend just about, like I said, about lost it because all he saw was this, like, 200, 300-pound wrestler come backwards at us. And that's always been my Bay Area wrestling story. <laughs> <laughs> But what's the uh, the reaction been to the documentary from, you know, the people that were in it, the people who have seen it? You know, what's some of the feedback you've been getting? Because it's a really well done piece. The people that were in it, especially, you know, they really, really enjoyed it. Uh, they they were kind of razzing us a bit on how long it was going to take us to get it out. I mean, we got it out in less than a year, which I think for a documentary is pretty good. But uh, they were kind of razzing us a bit about when it was finally going to come out. But once it did, we really enjoyed hearing the feedback from them because they were also appreciative of the fact that we, we wanted to tell their story and the way that we did it in such reverence. And one thing we wanted to make sure was, you know, we, Jesus called it Woody Farmer's Bay Area Wrestling for a reason. And that's because it's not just about Bay Area Wrestling. It's about Woody Farmer also. So we, we really appreciated, you know, Cody's, uh, Cody appreciated, you know, this tribute to his father, of course, that he now has that he can watch. But the other really surprising feedback that I really enjoyed was actually the, the workers of today, younger guys, uh, in the Bay Area scene who didn't really, who wanted to learn more about the history of Bay Area wrestling. We're talking guys in, you know, their 20s and early 30s who never watched Bay Area wrestling, but they, they commented and shared it and were so excited about this documentary just because they wanted to learn more about their own local wrestling history. And that, was, that I thought was a really pleasant surprise uh, of feedback. Yeah, and, and uh, not only that, but uh, just uh a couple of hours after releasing it, Chris Jericho invited us uh, to be on his podcast, on Talking Jericho podcast, and to speak of the documentary. So that you know, and I believe that's coming out soon, within a month or so. But so just seeing the reaction of Jericho, that not only he wanted to be a part of it, but he actually enjoyed it uh, enough to have us on and, and promote it further. You know, that's that's a pretty great feeling. Yeah, as a, I'll, I'll quote his tweet as a part of the review of the documentary. Must watch is, a, is, a, is what he said. So I'm going to put that on everything. Yeah. There we go. But what you're saying, though, is, is that Glenn and I got you on before talk of Jericho. Yeah. All right. We got, we got a thumbs up here. We got you on first. You know, there you go, Jericho. They were with us first. 
You might have recorded it with him first. <laughs> <laughs> now, are there any, you've mentioned a lot of the footage and all that that you still have, and hopefully there's no footage of uh, the Eureka show on, in May. I don't think it was recorded with our show. Um, are there any plans to do like a follow-up documentary or maybe like a collection of matches, kind of like a, a companion piece to it? Yeah, definitely. We're going to keep showing matches. Uh, I know after the documentary was released, we released the third Jericho match that we had that we hadn't shared yet. And a wrestler by uh, the name of Al Smith, who wrestled in that third match, he also had uh, texted me about uh, if he can get the footage. I'm like, well, guess what? It's coming out on Friday. So, you know, all, all these guys that were in it uh, are very uh, uh, grateful that we're still showing, you know, their matches and kind of keeping their memory alive. Uh, but yes, we would be interested in doing uh, maybe shorter interviews of, of the people that we we didn't get on the documentary. I know there's a lot of wrestlers like Big Steve Kane, Kendo Miyazaki, I believe. Uh, uh, a lot of wrestlers that we could not reach for whatever reason. Uh, it would be kind of fun to do like a little one-off interview uh, for each one since we have all this footage. And yeah, we were we're still going to unearth footage. Shane Cody has file cabinets of footage. It's just a matter of going through them. We did have to rent some equipment because some of these tapes are older. They're three-quarter inch pneumatic tapes. So uh, unfortunately, the TV station that I used to work at didn't have these decks anymore. So we did have to rent them. So it gets costly. But uh, yeah, I would love to go through all this footage because I'm sure there's other gems in there. Come to find out uh, that Michael Modest also wrestled, uh, had a couple of stints in Bay Area Wrestling uh, when he first started out. So that's footage that I'm still looking forward to find. Well, I mentioned in 2015, Joe Susan and I, with, uh, at that time we were running it as ICWE California. Uh, ICWE is based here out of Texas. We invested, you know, Woody and Shane and Riot into the, we did a West Coast Wrestling uh, chapter of the Hall of Fame, ICWE Hall of Fame. And I have the footage of that. Joe Susan has it as well. I'll find it and I'll get, I'll get that to you. So you can actually have a little bit of that too. Cause it probably, it might be the only like hall of fame induction that they've had as a family as a whole. I'm not sure if, you know, Woody's gone in somewhere or Shane's gone in somewhere, but we inducted the family as a whole. So I'd like to make sure that you guys get that footage and maybe you can kind of, you know, add something to it or do something with it. It's just a hard cam, oh, yeah. but we do have the footage of the induction and uh, Shane's speech. Yeah, that would be awesome. That would be great to have as a uh, part of part of the uh, history. I know, I know, uh, Woody Farmer was inducted into the Bay Area uh, Hall of Fame, the NorCal NorCal Hall of Fame. Sorry, because uh, mm. I went with Cody when he was in, when they inducted his dad. He he had already passed, but uh, they did induct him into the NorCal Hall of Fame. Okay, okay, uh, that's good. Like I said, I I don't know about single inductions. We we did we did the entire family, and Shane and Riot came in to. Uh, accepting all that so it, it was really cool um one thing i'd like to touch on real fast before uh, we wrap this up and this is a, a comment that you know rich armis made uh very wrestling it only ran for about three to four years and they referenced you know when it came to an end and his take on it was that you know woody basically you know was paying for it himself and is that something you had heard doing the other interviews that Woody, this is kind of a project that he funded because like I said, it didn't only run like two or three years. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's, that's one of the reasons that I've heard, uh, other reasons that he was kind of, you know, tired of it or, uh, I don't know. It, it, the only reason that we've heard is, is that one that maybe, you know, it just got too expensive or, you know, too much time to do it. I, I know he was running his own business as far as piano, piano moving, and then later on in his life, he was working for uh, an auto parts uh, a store. So I don't know, maybe, you know, he had to take a, a, another shoot job, a real job to, to kind of, you know, take care of his family. I, I'm not sure. But yeah, as far as reason, that, that's pretty much the reason that I've heard. And that's why that's the reason that we um, posted on the documentary. Well, I got to say, I watched it twice. I, I really enjoyed it. It actually gets you, it, it gets you in the heart a little bit. It's a little emotional when the guys are talking about, you know, Woody and all that. And, they, and the stories about, you know, May Young are amazing. Although I don't ever want to hear about the panting because that just kind of disturbed me a little bit. <laughs> but, you know, it was really well put together and a lot of emotion behind it. 
you know, and that, that was part of the thing I liked. It wasn't dry. It wasn't just a here are the facts. You know, these guys were very emotional and very, you know, sincere talking about Woody Farmer and Bayer wrestling in this part of their lives. And it came across great on the documentary. Now for our listeners who are looking for it, you know, how can they find it? How can they contact you through social media and follow some of the other projects that you're working? Yeah. So uh, check IndieHandshake.com, Indie spelled I-N-D-Y. Uh, IndieHandshake.com. IndieHandshake is the handle we use on all social media. I try to make it easy to find for everyone. You know, we post pretty much across all platforms. If you're following one of them, you're going to see all the stuff we post. But, you know, it's better to follow all of them, you know, wink, wink. And uh, we, we're, we're posting stuff on there. Uh, you know, like we said, matches, interviews, documentaries, everything. Uh, IndieHandshake at gmail.com if you want to shoot us a question or if you have something you think we should cover. Anything like that. Like, we're really open to listening to suggestions or ideas, you know, and if it's feasible for us, we'd love to do it. Uh, we have one project we're working on right now about uh, Mark Bison Smith, a wrestler who worked for All Pro Wrestling and Pro Wrestling Iron. He ended up uh, working for uh, Pro Wrestling NOAA in Japan and IWA Puerto Rico, unfortunately passed away when he was 41 uh, in Puerto Rico. We're trying to raise some money to do that documentary next. That's another one which uh, is a, a personal project of ours. Is Mark was a friend of ours, and we'd love to cover him as well. But IndieHandshake.com on everything uh, and uh, and Indie Handshake uses a handle on everything, and you can reach us on there pretty much anyway. Well, if I could offer a suggestion, one thing I might, I would be interested in seeing, and this is kind of an offshoot of Bay Area Wrestling, would be to kind of maybe take a look at, you know, Kirk White and Big Time Wrestling, which, as we said, came off of uh, Bay Area Wrestling, because he had a good run. I believe they're still running a show in March. I don't know what they're doing after that as far as since it's passing, but... I think that would be an interesting piece to do because, you know, that's where, you know, Bailey started when she was the first wrestler. And I think that would be an interesting piece, you know, if you ever, if you're ever looking for another subject. We, uh, yeah, we actually did. I had contacted Kirk, uh, cause Kirk gave us access to his, uh, training facility where we filmed the interviews for Bay Area Wrestling. So it was when we were, when we were setting up for that documentary, I did bring it up to Kirk that I'd like to do, a piece on big time wrestling and it's because we have all this footage of big time wrestling since it's pretty much since it's inception uh so i have all this footage backstage footage match footage uh so it would be a no-brainer to do a piece what i am working on right now is uh on a uh tribute to kirk white kind of a, a life tribute to him for that march show so a lot of that history will be shown for that and of course we'll We'll share that as well. Well, guys, once again, great documentary. Uh, I'm glad you were able to put this together and do this because if it weren't for guys like you and all that putting together these documentaries, people aren't going to know about Woody Farmer and Bay Area wrestling because it was a West Coast thing. And, you know, your documentary going out worldwide, anybody through YouTube can watch it, and I highly recommend it. But once again, thank you for joining us this week. But I'm going to pass the mic back over to Glenn to uh, wrap up this week's episode. Oh, thank def- you, Mike. Thank you, Glenn. Hey, thank you, guys. And, uh, boy, check it out, fans, if you haven't already. Woody Farmer's Bay Area Wrestling on YouTube. It's a great documentary. A big thank you to Jesus Cruz and Paul Ponte. And for Jesus, Paul, and the Grizzle Vet Mike McCurdy, I'm Glenn Broggett. You've been listening to Wrestling Memories.